a few passages of scripture that all Christians ought to know and have at the forefront of their thinking and living. One of them is repeated multiple times in the New Testament. It actually roots back into the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. And this way, Mark was giving us the instruction by Jesus, and he said it this way when he was asked what was the greatest of commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. That's the first of the greatest commands. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if, if you're saved, you're a follower of Christ, Christian, then that is our, our beckoning by the Holy Spirit, to love God and to love other people. And then Jesus also gives us this instruction in the sixth chapter of Matthew. It's part of his great Sermon on the Mount. He said, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. I would say if you're looking for a couple of passages to really have at the forefront of your living, it would be those, to love God with all of who you are, to love other people as you love yourself, and to seek the kingdom of God before you seek anything else. Now, we would all say that that is true if you're one who loves the Scripture and is instructed by the Holy Spirit to live according to it. And, and we would know that there are blessings for us when we are obedient to that, and there are curses for those who are disobedient to that. So we long for this to be true, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love other people as we love ourselves, and to... Seek the kingdom of God before anything else. There's blessings for those who follow that, but the sinful flesh and the world challenges us to not live according to those passages. The world, currently led and influenced by Satan, is offering temporary kingdoms like the kingdom of darkness that will ultimately be destroyed by God at the end of time. And the world says that we ought to pay attention to that kingdom, that we ought to invest in that kingdom, that if you want to live at the highest, you ought to live at that kingdom. And so it's what Solomon would say in Proverbs, as we've been working through Proverbs for several months now, there's two tracks. There's a kingdom of heaven track, and there's a kingdom of the world track. There's a kingdom of heaven that ends with life, and there's a kingdom of the world that ends in destruction there's a kingdom of wisdom a pathway of wisdom and there's a pathway of foolishness or folly and you're making a choice between those two uh, sometimes people want to have both and jesus as we'll see later says it's absolutely not possible to have both you have to choose between one or the other I think what Solomon is doing throughout the Proverbs, same thing Jesus is doing, even all the way back into the Old Testament with Joshua and Moses and others, choose this day. Choose the path. Choose who you're going to serve. Choose the kingdom that you're going to be in. So the world is led by Satan offering us detours to this path, offering us counterfeits to the true essence of the kingdom of God, and in doing so, it draws us away from a genuine relationship with God and the blessings that God wants to establish for us for all eternity. It's part of the ploy and the initiative of evil. People living in the kingdom of God have a self-centered love, and they cling to what is, what is temporary at the cost of an eternal relationship with God and the eternal rewards that he wants to give to those who are faithful. So we just need to be alert to that that God is offering us himself 
in a relationship with eternal blessings, but the enemy, the schemer of this world, tries to pull us away from that, toward us from the relationship that we are to have God and the fellowship and the sweet rewards that he gives to us. Here's the way 1 John says it. It's on the screen for you. It's also in your handout. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's about as direct as you're going to be able to get uh, in your understanding from the scripture about this kingdom that we're supposed to be living in and the kingdom we're supposed to be rejecting. So he says, don't love the world. And what he's talking about the world there, it's everything in this world that is corrupt. Everything that is askew from the Father and from his purposes and from his righteousness. It's the systems, the ideology, the priorities of the world that are all moving towards what is temporary and to be destroyed just need to remind us that we are made for eternity and everything that we are touching everything that we are experiencing every person around real around all of that is temporary in its current state and at the end of time it will all be destroyed everything that you've worked hard for all your life will be destroyed everything that you're amassing in your life everything that is registering in the account statements everything that you log to be insured in the end it is all going to be destroyed so we ought not give our life to that which is going to be destroyed we ought to give our life to that which is going to be eternal and this is what uh, the lord is telling us from first john don't love those things that are only temporary the things of the world we have a tendency to do that in our flesh, to love the materials rather than the maker, to love the created rather than the creator. And he's alerting us to that. Make sure your focus is on the creator. So I mentioned this afternoon being out and about, just enjoying the beauty of the day. The beauty of the day, being out in it, is meant to call attention to the one who created it. When you and I are having an incredibly good time, we didn't have any snow at our house. Well, it kind of spit and sputtered a little bit, but there was nothing uh, really. But we have some friends who are members of this church who live up towards Fort Payne, and uh, they, they had a blanket of snow. And you might say, oh, that's, that's fantastic. Even that blanket of snow is meant to point us to the glory of God. And just the other day when it was raining so and created quite a stir around my house, and the thunder and the lightning was going, even that draws attention to the glory of God. So be careful. Do not worship that which is made, but worship the maker of all things. All things are coming unto his glory. By God's grace, we as Christians understand, as this passage says, the world is passing away. That's God's grace that is given to us to understand that truth that this is all passing away. We need not pursue it if it is going to be passing away. The thing's eternal. That's what we ought to be moving toward. So we stand in Christ with eternity 
We have the world behind us. We have our sights set on Jesus. We have his scripture in our hands. And we pursue that of the kingdom of God. I've been reading lately John Bunyan's book, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you've read it like me. You've circled back to it. And that's what I'm doing these days. I came across it again as I was just prepping for this message. And even last night, I downloaded it a few days ago and was reading it propped up in the bed. Uh, I would encourage you to read it before you actually start propping up in bed because uh, it, will, it will lull you very quickly. You have to concentrate while you're reading Pilgrim's Progress. It's written in the 17th century, and so the language is a little bit different. Here's a link if you're fast at writing things down and you're interested at all. There's a link on the screen to a PDF where you can get a free copy, and I, I would encourage you to do so. But Bunyan is trying to help us to discover the beauty of the kingdom of God and how it's willing to drop everything, to put everything behind us in order to reach for what is ahead of us, the kingdom of God. Can we just get into that mindset for a moment to, to remember that all things in this world are passing away, so no reason to chase after them. Those things we put behind us and we look forward to what is coming ahead, and what is coming ahead is the kingdom of God, that it's an eternal kingdom. It will be in physical form as the... Lord Jesus has placed it in us in a spiritual way. So that kingdom is coming, and Bunyan is wanting to, to help us to discover that. And here's what he, how he do, portrays Christian, uh, the center uh, of the narrative, the allegory narrative. He says he's portrayed as a man having lifted up his eyes to heaven, the best of the books in his hands, the law of truth written upon his lips, and the world behind his back. And what he helps us to discover is forsaking those things putting them to our back negating that which is a craving for this world in order to hold on to the beauty of the kingdom of god it is a good pursuit this is the word of god for us that we would understand not to be greedy for those things that are temporary at best and destructive in our lives so greed is one of the evil strategic temptations to keep us from God and to keep us from the eternal rewards that God gives to faithful people. Greed will stand in your way in your relationship with God and the rewards that God has for us. So let's define it and potentially identify it if it's in our life. Here's the way I'm defining it. Greed is rooted in a misaligned heart and is expressed as self-driven desire to have something. And I'm thinking that the something most often is money, possessions, and power, although it could be greedy for other things. So it's a self-driven desire to have something so much that contentment is diminished or lost. Piper would go a little bit further, John Piper. He would say it's being dissatisfied with God. It's losing contentment with God. That greed takes us to that kind of level. And I would concur with that. It's not, greed is not more money. Greed is not more power, more possession. Greed is the misaligned heart, misdirected towards those things or about those things. So objects of greed like money and possession and power are just neutral. There's nothing negative about money. It's not money that's evil, but the Lord said it's the love of money that's evil. Having possession is not sinful, but when the heart is misaligned to not 
love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. you can see that possessions can get in the way of that if our heart is misaligned and we love things more than we love God or we hold on to things rather than sharing them with the neighbor who is in need. So the problem is when our desires for those kind of things get misaligned and out of proportion from a heart that is idolatrous, not worshiping God above all things. That, that's where greed comes in. In essence, God has made all things for His glory. Things are not meant to be glorious. The most treasured thing that I can think of that I've given Kay is, is a diamond ring. But in and of itself is not glorious. What makes that diamond ring that I gave her some 33 years ago, what makes it glorious is the commitment of covenant behind the ring. That's what makes it glorious because it illuminates God and His love and this gospel of bridegroom preparing the way for the bride. Does that make sense that things are not meant to be glorious in and of themselves? Things are meant to point us to the creator of all things, the Lord Jesus, and that we give him glory. So God has made all things for his glory. As Romans 11 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. That's the greatest, the riches of God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God. There's where glory is. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. So it's not the stuff, it's him. I like the way David Mathis writes it. He says, greed lurks in our hearts, often unnoticed as we walk the aisle of a store or consider cheating on our taxes or ponder how much, tip the how much to tip the waitress or how much to give the church or whether to help a friend in need. We could be browsing Amazon or flipping through a catalog or evaluating our insurance and retirement when our sinful and broken hearts swell in their desire for the things of the earth in a way that eclipses our valuing the God of heaven. I, I, did I give you that in your handout? If not, I wish I had. If it's in there, you might just bracket that and come back to it. Because the more I've read that quote from him, the more I'm seeing the Spirit tapping on my heart sensing that to say hey gunner think about that some if you're around my age in the 50s i'm still in the younger 50s at least for another few months if you're in your 50s you probably are watching the 401k or in my case the 403b you're watching when those posts come on the statement and you're thinking things constantly about money it might be, do I have enough? Or, wow, look how much I have. I catch myself thinking about that and perusing the statements just to see what's there. And I catch myself in a greedy way. Not greedy for more, but greedy with a misaligned heart in thinking that I'm caring for myself. I'm not caring for me and my wife. God is. I need to have my heart aligned in that way. If I didn't have any of that, God would care for me. And sure, I need to be wise in my stewardship. Sure, I ought to be a good manager of all the resources God's entrusted to me. Sure, I need to be a provider for my wife in our older ages when they come 40 or 50 years from now. <laughs> but my heart ought to be aligned with Him. Or maybe it's the offering of Amazon, quick lightning deals, and greed 
greed is evident. Just not being satisfied with what I have, wanting bigger, better, nicer, newer. Greed. And the Holy Spirit just taps on my heart, saying, oh, Randy, that's part of evil's way of luring you from the beauty of the presence of Christ in your life, the relationship that you have with Him, the contentment to be settled in that relationship, and for the future promises of a reward that is eternal. Let loose of some of that. Sure, money is great, but love God first above all things. Sure, money is good, but love your neighbor and let it be evident to give to those who are in need. Is it evident that your heart is not greedy in the way you gave this morning, in the way you've thought about giving to kingdom work, to people in need? Greed is a sinful attitude that keeps us from knowing God and thwarts His blessing to us. That's the reason why Jesus gave us a warning. He said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then He went on to say that a, it's a foolish person who stores up eternal, or excuse me, earthly wealth but does not have a relationship with God. Let the relationship with God be on the forefront. Guard your heart from all greed. You know what I come down to? Greed comes at significant cost to us. So if you will, turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 11. Everybody, if you will, just grab your Bible out and turn to Proverbs chapter 11. And zoom with me on verse 24 and then 25 and 28. Proverbs 11. I'll read a verse and I'll let you get caught up as you're turning to it. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Now, I'm going to just say this does not make sense in the world. The economy of the world says if you want to have riches, you're going to have to save and hold and hoard more. But in the economy of God, in the kingdom of God, he says, no, if you want to have riches, you need to be freely giving. And the one who gives freely is all the richer. The one who withholds, thinking that he's going to have more, is actually suffering want. What a drastic change that is in the economy of God. Do you trust God enough to believe that that word is true? Because greed... The counterfeit would say, oh, you better make sure you have and hold and build more, otherwise you'll be in want. And God says, no, no, no. Give freely. Give freely. So Kay and I practiced tithing for the majority of our adult life. I would say the majority because there were seasons when that wasn't such a, a valid principle for us to follow in my fleshly mind. It's hardest when you've got kids, isn't it? And they're wanting new shoes, needing new shoes, growing out of clothes too fast. Man, when your kids are in diapers and formula, it's like that takes all the tithe money away. And I would think that way and sort of hold back periodically. But I'm grateful that the Lord realigned our heart. At the very minimum, this is where it starts. He says to Israel, give 10%, and that's for the functionality of the country. But then he called for all these free will offerings. So here we are in the New Testament, in the 
kingdom of God flourishing in the kingdom of God with the presence of Christ with us never to forsake us with the treasure of the spirit with the treasure of the church the body of Christ and with the grand purpose of making the name of Christ known among the nations so at very minimum I ought to give along with my wife the 10 percent so we we do that electronically I cut a check electronically to this church a tenth of everything we make comes back to this church that's that's just the way it ought to be but generosity goes beyond that and that's where I get a little squirrely that's where greed is most evident in my life a free will God doesn't really require it am I willing to give it it's a revelation of my heart maybe you've grown up and you've not been taught the practice of giving regularly like that can I just tell you you're missing an incredible blessing a wonderful blessing being part of the kingdom of God work and to give as, as the Lord gives you opportunity to give so give freely and you'll be all the richer look what he says in verse 25 whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered this is the way this works God says you're going to give you're going to be a blessing to people and he in turn will bless you now that's not promise you give a thousand I'll give you back a hundredfold that's not that promise that that's an unbiblical promise God, God doesn't say give this in order to get that he's talking in principles here these are proverbial statements that if you water people give them freshness in return God will refresh you you give out of generosity and God will make you all the more richer and it would be foolish to think that he's talking about just dollars there richer in life richer in experience richer richer in the kingdom of heaven richer in the purposes of God and sometimes in the bounty of this temporal life but let's take it as the Lord intends it there he says in verse 28 whoever trusts in the riches in his riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So we're not trusting in riches. We're trusting in righteousness that is provided for us by Christ and lived out in expression by His Spirit. So I've come up with these five statements that as I was just working through the Scripture this week, just kept coming up, and I just jotted them down in just these groupings. So let's work through these five. Just take them, your hand out and just fill in some of these blanks. First of all, greed causes a loss of contentment with God and his sovereignty greed causes a loss of contentment with God it's a questioning of the fullness of the gospel it, it comes to a statement like this okay I'm trusting God plus this it sometimes gets expressed in this way this is greed I would be happier if I had that you ever had that statement you know God I'm grateful for my relationship with you I'm grateful for who I am in you but if I just had $25,000 man would my life be a lot happier or God I'm a Christian I'm grateful for that I'm thankful for heaven I'm thankful for your Holy Spirit but you know if I had a different husband or if I had a different wife or if I had a different girlfriend or if I had a different boyfriend then things would be better or if I had a different job or if I had a bigger house or if I had a newer car it's God plus and that discontentment is greed 
And what Jesus is saying to us, learn to be content with what you have. He's not saying don't be a manager. He's not saying that money is evil. He's not saying possessions are bad. He's saying learn to align your heart to be content with the presence of Christ. And from that, manage money well. From that, manage possessions well. Love God, love neighbor, seek the kingdom of God above all things. Now, the world is screaming, take the detour, pursue the things of the temporary. The world is screaming all that. But God says, be content. Secondly, this, greed is the path of folly that ends with ruin and destruction. Paul is writing to his uh, young friend, Timothy, who's a pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So you might be saying, you know, Randy, this, this whole message about greed, that ain't me. I don't have much. I don't make much. I don't have much income. You've missed the point. Greed is not money. Greed is not possessions. It's the desire for. So here's what he's saying to this church in Ephesus who is not wealthy at all. In fact, if you're a Christian in the first century, more than likely you are impoverished you need and have dependency on the body of Christ in order to survive. And he's saying to them, those who desire to be rich fall into a trap. They fall into ruin. It's not the money, it's not the possessions, it's the desire. You put that above the things of God. How many of you ever have had a financial advisor advise you on your finances and tell you in the end it's ruin and destruction? <laughs> Anybody had that? No. Anybody have a realtor show you around at a bigger, nicer, be better house and say, oh, but in the end, it's ruin and destruction. No, we don't think that way, do we? But here's what he's saying. If that's your goal, if that's where your target is, if that's what you're inclined towards, it's ruin and destruction. At the very minimum, it is all going to be destroyed in the day of Christ. And at the max, it will destroy your life today moving you to disregard a relationship with an eternal God and moving you to invalidate the sacrifice that is required for us to be faithful and righteous in this world and to have the eternal rewards of Christ. So be aware that greed moves us to a path of destruction. Greed blocks generosity and hinders compassion. Greed, it blocks generosity. So there's one thing if you're in your 50s, you're looking at your retirement accounts because you're recognizing you have fewer work years probably behind, uh, ahead of you than behind you. And so you're, you're thinking about those things and here's what else you're doing. If you're in your 50s and you're married, you are sharing a meal at a restaurant with your spouse. Have you noticed that? It's like if you're in your 50s and 60s, you can't order your own meal. You have to order it and then split it. And the cool thing about that for those of us who struggle with greed is that means less tip because <laughs> you're only paying for one meal. Can I just tell you how ridiculous that sounds? But how easy it is to think that way? And so Kay and I have a practice. It's simple. It's an exercise for me. If we're going to split a plate, then we're going to double the tip as if we didn't split that plate. Just the fact that I struggle with that tells you that your pastor has a greedy 
heart, he struggles with greed. Now, in Christ, I can be victorious over that. In Christ, he is alerting me to those things. In Christ, he is giving me fulfillment in the exercise of these kind of truths, and I'm growing. And I'm just asking, would you consider, not disregarding the idea of greed, would you just consider for a moment that maybe you struggle with that as well, and it is hindering you in your relationship with the Father, and it's hindering you from the eternal reward that Christ wants you to have. And you can have victory over it in Christ. He will give us that victory. Greed squelches love for God and others. Here's the way Jesus, no one can serve two masters for either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. Church in the West, listen, you can't do it. We do not present a prosperity gospel at this church because it's foreign to the Bible and it leads people on a path of folly, of destruction, unto hell. Instead, we say, seek the kingdom of God above all things. Trust Him. Find your contentment in Him and see what value there is in that. Choosing not to have greed, which squelches love for God and other people, puts you in a position of thinking you can have both the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God and Jesus says you can't you're going to love one and hate the other despise one and embrace the other then finally greed robs us of peace and promotes fearfulness and restlessness in us it robs us of peace because if you notice greed is a line that's always moving you think if I just had this and then it's like the enemy pushes it a little further out okay well if I just had that pushes a little further out always leads to restlessness or if maybe you do have it you're good with your 401k and you look at it then you got to figure out in fretfulness how you keep it what is trump going to do that's going to mess it up what are the democrats going to do that are going to mess it up what is this going to how's this going to come about how's that and you just fret over it the lord says oh man you're robbed of peace that i have come to give you joy that I've provided for you. Let it not be that way with us. So sometimes we wrongly think that holding on to as much as possible will make our life richer. God says the opposite. God says generosity provides for a richer and fuller life. We read uh, Proverbs 11.25 earlier. Let me just read it again, this time out of the New Living Translation. It says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. That's just a principle that God's established. It's one of the rhythms that God's established in creation. If, you, if you're a farmer, the more seeds you put out there, the more bounty the harvest could be when it comes in. The fewer seeds you scatter, the fewer the harvest, uh, smaller the harvest will be when it's gathered. So it's a principle. Just recognizing, be generous. Sow more and reap more. So that's why Meadowbrook is so interested in giving and not having that new building hinder in any way what we give around the world you know our mission here at meadowbrook is to make christ known here locally and globally it's bringing people to the understanding of christ discipling them in the way of christ equipping them that they might serve in the kingdom of christ all to his glory that's what we're after the risk is that we would build a building and man is it going to be a fantastic building 
It's going to have a worship complex in it. It's going to have gathering connective space in it, a little coffee bistro place. It's going to have educational space where people can be discipled and trained and raised up in the way of Christ. It's going to be a fantastic. You can walk in a shorter distance all in the dry on any given day. It will all be under one roof. It's going to be fantastic. But the way we do that building, paying cash for it, is absolutely essential. About a month ago, I received a note from one of our mission partners. You've met him and probably have come to love him. His name is Bulin Timo. And Bulin is one of those multiple people around the world that we've just determined that God is working within their lives and multiplying great ministry. And so we just invest in people like Bulin who are on the ground. We can go do things, and we do. We have mission trips, probably a dozen of them that were going on in 2020. And that's all great. We're glad to be able to do that, glad to go where the Lord is doing His work and partner with them. But when we come back, we don't work that, want that work to end. We want to do it in a way that we're making investment in people that can multiply in great ways the kingdom of God. So Bulin wrote Meadowbrook, you, a letter. Now, he writes me fairly often as well as others that we support. But this one, this letter was written to you. It says, Dear Meadowbrook, thank you very much for partnering with us in the distributions of the Bibles. Thousands of and thousands of Bibles were distributed both in English and local languages last year. Now, that's not a general statement. That is written to this church because you gave thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of dollars in order to have thousands and thousands of Bibles distributed among the South Sudanese and the refugees there in Uganda. The reason why that is important, number one, some of them are coming to faith in Christ, and they need the Word of God. Others of them left in a very hurried fashion as militant forces were coming into their villages, and they just left with a shirt on their back. They didn't have food. They didn't have their Bibles. They didn't have any resources. They just left and went into the refugee camps after a number of days' hike to get there. And What we did first is we said we need the pastors to have Bibles. And so we distributed Bibles to pastors. And then through pastors, we've distributed Bibles by the tens of, of thousands through the communities, those refugee communities. So Bulin is talking to you specifically about the dollars that you've given. Thousands of people have now the golden opportunity to have their own word of God, which is the Bible. Many lives have been changed, and many disciples of Christ have been equipped, both among the South Sudanese and Ugandans. Thank you for being part of changing lives in this part of Africa for the glory of Christ. Continue to pray for us as many people would like to have Bibles, training events for pastors, equipping for disciple-making of the nations. Thank you once again, and many blessings to you this year, 2020. So what we're doing in giving in generous ways towards the mission and that building is so that one day in the future we are not deciding, do we pay the debt service this month or do we send the dollars for disciple making do we reduce what we're doing on the mission field because we're paying off debt on a building so what we've determined is we want to build the building yes we think it's good for this community to reach this community for Christ to have a building that's designed not to play ball in but to worship in to preach in to proclaim God's word and to have the connected spaces to have the education space but to do it in a generous way that it would never cause this church to ever decide do we do building or do we do missions 
The answer is we do missions. We do missions. And that's why we give generously. By the way, we're still of the $8.6 million being raised, we're still at $1.6 million to completion. And I am trusting that you who love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors in Etowah County as you do yourself, and seek first the kingdom of God, I am trusting that you will give generously and that God will be glorified when we walk into that place debt-free. Proverbs 28, 22 says, A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. The stingy man in the Hebrew is one word. It's, it's the eye of an evil man. The eye of an evil man is after wealth. That's pretty poignant, isn't it? So stinginess destroys us, and it has consequences to people around us. You, you, you might question, well, the people that I see are greedy, those who are stingy, those who are hoarders. It looks to me like they're gaining. They're getting ahead. They've got more than I have. And I concur with you. But you're only looking at a small window of time in a very temporary life, and you need to have an eternal perspective. And in the end, when everything is burned away, what will they have? They might be hoarding greedily today, but what will they have? When you and I look over into the casket of that individual, their eyes close, their hand clasped, what will they have? And Jesus is saying it could be far, far different. You could have the kingdom of heaven. You could have the inheritance of Christ. You can have the presence of God. You can have relationship with the holy God. So Jesus gives us victory. So we understand we need victory because greed destroys faith. Greed destroys the eternal reward of God. We need victory in this, and Jesus is the one who provides it. This isn't going to be us doing better. Come on, we can get our act together. This is us being surrendered to Jesus, who is victorious. You know, Jesus never had a stingy moment in his life. Jesus never acted in any way towards greed. Jesus didn't hoard anything. He freely gave all things. And so we need Jesus to free us from greed. Greed is an expression of a heart of worship. It's just the worship of the heart is money and possessions and power. We need Jesus to take that idolatrous way and nail it to the cross, pay God's justice for that and to give us a new heart and that's what he does that's what calvary is all about john aiken writes it this way in his book you believe and worship your way into greed and you must believe and worship your way out of it just believing differently and worshiping differently Jesus required that of his disciples to worship differently, to give up all things in order to follow him. Jesus required absolute and total surrender of their lives to him. There's no bartering. There's no negotiating with salvation under Christ. It requires unconditional surrender. So I was working through my John MacArthur study Bible this week. I came across this quote in one of the texts. Says his disciples were permitted to retain no privileges and to make no demands. They were to safeguard no cherished sins, treasure no earthly possessions, and cling to no secret self indulgences. 
their commitment to him must be without reservation so to be a follower of Jesus Christ is going to cost you everything your love and pursuit of money goes you say well it's an awful lot to give up but it's an awful lot to get because you're giving up what is temporary you're giving up what is one day to be burned away and you are receiving what is eternal relationship with God glory of God righteousness of God the inheritance of Christ Jesus of the universe and God himself so we understand this in Christ oh you not just free us from greed you give us a direction of our heart to worship the one true God and you make us richer all the while in this glorious relationship and glorious inheritance that all the saints receive in Christ Jesus so through the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus frees us from greed and all other sin he takes those sins and nails them to the cross and gives us an exchange in our faith his righteousness and his righteous way and his Holy Spirit who dwells within us so we've come to discover in this passage or these passages that the treasure of the kingdom of God is so great so far outstanding to that of the treasures this earth promises that we forsake all these things in order to have what is eternal and when we get that then we begin to live the richness of life I want to invite you to do that to see things differently have a heart that's aligned differently if you want to be free of greed then surrender your heart to Jesus and be content in him as you set your eyes on him and if you want to exercise in a greed free life practice generosity from a transformed heart practice it look for the ways in order to be generous now would you bow your head with me close your eyes I want to have a closing prayer but the prayer is actually the words of Charles Spurgeon written in 1883 it's a prayer that he wrote about this subject and I'm just going to read it but I want us to pray these words as Spurgeon has prayed them as well oh my Lord let me not merely talk thus and pretend to despise earthly treasure when all the while I am hunting after it but grant me grace to live above these things never setting my heart upon them nor caring whether I have them or have them not but exercising all my energy in pleasing thee and in gaining those things which thou dost hold in esteem give me I pray thee the riches of thy grace that I may at, at last attain the riches of thy glory through Jesus Christ.